Hello friends, welcome back to the Air to Be the Lights podcast. This week is a little different because actually for, pro- I don't know, maybe maybe four months we've been talking about the potential of doing a podcast between me and you, talking about Italy, talking about uh, like cultural aspects that we think can contribute to the average well-being of the Italian. And we don't want this to be, we want this to be kind of a bit of fun, a bit anecdotal, but also a little under the influence of the 60 plus episodes we've done so far. In a sense, I think me and Seb have been lucky enough to speak with a lot of a lot of experts and a lot of fields around well-being and that there are certain areas such as sunlight, connection, balanced food, balanced exercise that are just fundamental for like holistic well-being. And uh, we can discuss further on like why we think Italy is kind of of course, there's no perfect culture. There's no perfect culture, but we think Italy are kind of it, it does well in a lot of these categories. Seb, yeah, for sure. Um, well, first and foremost, obviously, you kind of mentioned two there, which were um, like sunlight and um, community. And obviously, Italy is lucky in the sense that, unlike maybe Denmark and maybe other countries in the north of Europe we kind of get great weather all year round. So uh, that obviously must help. I mean, I live in Spain now, and it's obviously a very similar climate. And anecdotally speaking, it does help waking up. And you just see the sun more days than than not. Comparing that to England, for example, when I used to live in Leeds, where it would impact you when you saw the sun because it was kind of more of a rare thing, obviously, in Ireland. There's a reason why you're called the Emerald fucking Isle, not because it's a scorch of sunlight. There's a reason why we have incredibly green grass. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So, I mean, that that definitely helps. Um, It just puts you in a better mood. I think it makes you you enjoy more things. And I think, like, I don't know how to put this, but almost like uh, you have more options. Like, things become more available. Just Mm. in the sense of, like, meeting up with your friends never seemed like a bad idea. When, when the possibility of meeting up in a terrace with a drink or two, I mean, in the sunlight. Whereas, like, meeting up when it's cold and you have to brave the weather and then, like, run inside and huddle inside like a pub or whatever. I mean, sometimes that's all you want to do. But you kind of have to, I feel like, anyway, you have, almost have to be in the mood for that type of thing. Mm-hmm. Whereas, like, you never have to be in the mood to spend time in the sun. Kind of like your body naturally craves that. Or at least mine does anyway. Absolutely. And something that, that oh, I mean, coming from Dublin, I only appreciated when I exper- when I lived in countries with consistently good weather or con- weather that's not incredibly cold or rainy, where you just find yourself having a lot more possibilities in terms of activities or meeting people. And yeah, I mean, like you can, you can book things in advance. In Dublin, you can't really say on the 13th of July, we're going to have a barbecue because you kind of have to wait until the 12th or the 13th to see if the weather's good enough, you know? On the 13th, it'll get cancelled itself. That so definitely it's... happens. That definitely <laughs> happens. Yeah. 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 You definitely don't get any plans scuppered by the weather. Mm. Very rarely anyway. Yeah. For sure. Very yeah. rarely. Yeah. I mean, the problem we have is that something's too hot and you're like, oh, Jesus. Um, but I'd definitely rather have that problem than the other way around, for sure. Oh, yeah. 
um, as the ambulance drives by. Um, <laughs> no, yeah, that's definitely that's definitely a major part in why I think you said that Italy was one of the had one of the lowest rates of depression in Europe. Yeah, that has to be a major reason. Um, I also think the another thing we mentioned was community and the fact that obviously most people know or recognise that in Italy family is a massive deal. But not just in a massive deal in the sense that they think it's important, but in the sense of every Sunday, no matter how many people have moved out of the house or whatever, we all get together for your family meal, your mum will still cook all the dinner. Even if you've probably got a wife and stuff, you meet up regularly. It's not like in England, you kind of meet up with your exterior, like your extended family, maybe on special occasions or on the odd occasion here or there or when there's an excuse to. But it's not really like you kind of just really st- stick to your mum, your dad, and any siblings you may have. Um, cousins, they're almost considered like they are family in England, but it's not really. Do you know what I mean? It's kind of like a weird one. Um, whereas, like in Italy, they're basically considered siblings because you grow up together. Mm-hmm. Like that thing, I think that does make a big difference. Um, and then, in my experience, obviously, I lit where my family are, they're on the outskirts of Milan. But you kind of, and maybe this is just a byproduct of living in like a block of flats, which is basically what most people do in Italy. But you get to know like your neighbours and and this, that, the other, because you live literally above them, underneath them, next to them. So you kind of, once you've lived there for a few years, you know, you really get to know these people. And they are, there's a close bond there. Whereas Mm -hmm. the neighbours that I've had in England, you see them like maybe when you're, on your way to the supermarket and that's about it mm. you know it's funny you make that point just like two weeks ago when i was over in italy i was visiting uh, chiara's house and, and i remember thinking like we were walking down the road maybe 50 meters away from her house and maybe 50 meters down the road someone was like screaming as in like shouting at the telly or shouting at something i remember thinking there must be low crime in this area because if something was happening like hundreds of people would know about it very quickly mm. and so like like you said it's very easy for you to know your neighbors because you you see them or you hear them yeah <laughs> consistently where i think it's less the, the case in ireland as in like if someone's shouting in the house in ireland you might hear a house or two or if someone's like if someone's having a party you might hear like a few houses either side but it's not the same and i think that inevitably brings like some sort of bond like a yeah i i don't know i mean i mean like you know most places in in italy they have like an interior patio or garden or if it's maybe a more well-to-do block of flats they might even have a swimming pool (laughs) or like some like some sort of tennis course or squash course that are interior as well that belong to all of the people in those block of flats and so like even those things you're like constantly sharing mm. right so you're like in the summer where you maybe use the pool more obviously you're all going down there with your kids and this that and the other so like you have like a just a natural community whereas mm. like in england and in ireland as well you everyone kind of has their own private garden and so like there's no need to share space because you all everyone has their own individual space that is very clearly delineated with a fence and this is my property and this is your property and we the two shall not part. Do you know what I mean? And it's just like 
and that's great as listen sometimes like i would love nothing especially i live now in spain like, i love nothing more sometimes i've got a dog and stuff have my own private garden and whatever else like that would be great but then other times you see the benefits of of living together and like you said like yeah <clears throat> i live on on my floor there's four other flats and then obviously below us you've got four flats as well so for example when zars is barking his head off i'm not just pissing off one <laughs> one neighbor I'm pissing mm-hmm. off, like seven other neighbors mm-hmm. do you know what i mean so like i mean that could be a problem as well i guess depending on which name if you're lucky to have good or bad names that's it but yeah i mean you, that's just the kind of a role of the dice i guess but then uh, you kind of uh, at least in my experience most people are fairly lax be just because we're kind of understand that we're all in this together so you know like if someone's having a party no one's gonna really take the piss because you you know that like there's like i said seven other people mm-hmm. other families or whatever which are guaranteed if you're going to put the music really loud which you're going to hear it for sure mm. and vice versa so you don't you like out of respect for them you don't you kind of limit yourself somewhat right oh, yeah. whereas like when it's your own house in england or wherever you kind of feel like well I'm, it's my house i'll do what i want and mm-hmm. it pisses off one neighbor then it's like i'm oh, saying one neighbor like it's not the end of the world type deal so you know, i don't know um, one one thing sorry, that just popped into my head was also we'll talk about food in a second, <laughs> but even like you said the the ritual of say Sunday Sunday's a huge day in Italy Sunday Sunday lunch yeah, but even that consistency that pretty much whatever's happening in the week you're going to be doing that on Sunday or we'll do we'll be doing this, it's something that may sound not particularly significant, but only recently. My sister was saying, she was saying to me, she was like, oh, I, I feel like my family. She was like, oh, I feel like we're not really doing stuff. Like, I feel yeah. like we're not really bonding as a family. Like, sometimes uh, me and Katie would eat at a different time as my dad, or we'd all eat different times. And if that yeah. keeps on happening, it's very easy to kind of fall out of whack. Like, if you don't have set times in which you all bond together, like with the household bonds, or like you said, external family bonds, it's very easy for... The, the connection to kind of lose its consistency, lose its strength, lose its resilience even. And ju- just on that before you speak, I was going to say cards, in our experience anyway, cards, like get, game of cards is huge. And I, I like the card aspect because particularly now in 2021, everyone's on their phone, everyone wants to like put on a movie or do something that's related to technology. But with the cards, it's just, there's nothing, just you and cards, you know? And then during the game, you can just shoot the shit and just, you know, say something. And it it kind of provides, like the card game, right? Facilitates this weird space of conversation where you can only say certain things and bring up certain things, but it brings a level of closeness, I think, because you're spending, like sometimes you're spending minutes of silence with people. Mm. in concentration with the card game and then when somebody wins it's all oh, like i saw you do that and i was thinking about maybe you had this card and all this but yeah it's it's something you know obviously i love meditation but like the idea of just spending time i think spending time with people in silence is like a strangely uh connecting just like uh activity well, it can only be done with people who you have a confidence with. Surely, surely. Um, you can't, like, it's, there's nothing more awkward than sitting in silence with someone who you don't really know that well. 
and you're just like, oh, fuck. And then you like, feel the need to fill the silence. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you're like completely comfortable with someone, there isn't the need to fill the silence. Like I remember, I can't remember at what time frame it came along, but uh, I remember like I noticed it with me and Louisa, like we'd go out for a meal. And it's not, don't get me wrong, it wasn't like we were sat at the meal the whole meal, like in dead silence, we're talking to each other. But there would be like periods where maybe we were just enjoying the food or we were just enjoying like the ambience or the, the look of the restaurant or whatever it may be. And we might go like two, three minutes and not like a word was spoken. And I would like, that would only happen with like, a, with me and Louisa or someone of that level where I'm like, that, there's no need to mm. just constantly ramble. Whereas if I was on a first date with Louisa, for example, and that happened, I'd be like, oh, well, we don't really have much in common then because we can't even like, we can't even fill an hour of like conversation. Do you know what I mean? So, yeah, that, that only happens really if you have confidence with someone. And the only time in England where I could think of anything similar is really at Christmas when like the Monopoly board gets brought out. <laughs> yeah, yeah, or something yeah. along those lines. But that almost feels like slightly forced and just like a traditional thing rather than like we all have a, a desperate need to play Monopoly. Mm-hmm. Um, and then with the cards thing, I do think it's a generational thing. Like my uncles and stuff, they would go down to the local bar and like, they would meet up their mates in the bar, which would be the equivalent of the English pub, and they would play cards with their mates. People, my, my cousins don't do that. They don't go to like, the local bar and meet up with their mates and play cards. But if they're on like a beach or something, or if they're with family, then it's a great way to pass the time, which in England doesn't happen because it's just like on the phone straight away, or let's put the tally on or mm-hmm. something like that. So, so yes, yeah, it's, 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 it's a generational thing. Um, but it's still a part of. I mean, there's no one our age in Italy who doesn't know how to play briscola, yeah, or scala quaranta, or like those types of games. Like yeah, every yeah. Sport, you just grow up knowing those games. So, yeah, and it's enjoyable, and it's a nice like you, a lot. There's a lot of um like kind of Latin cultures that have similar type games. Like I think in Latin America, dominoes is like a huge thing, um, okay. which I've never got to grips with. But like you see that like a lot of like Latin Americans like more older. It must be it must be said, but at least in public anyway, they seem to be like the older gentlemen. But they like seem to enjoy like a game of dominoes and stuff. Um and yeah, I think it's probably the phone has probably been the killer of that type of pastime. Mm. And to me it just it just came up there like we're gonna talk about food in a sec, and we're gonna talk about the sacred place of food within Italian culture. But also I think Unfortunately, like I'm a big believer that we should hold things sacred in our lives. And when I say sacred, I mean, just give them like real significance. Like they are very important to you and they're a very important part of your day or part of your week. And I like the idea. I mean, I, I like you said, the younger generations don't, don't play so much. I mean, in my experience, they play quite a bit, but not so much compared to the grandparents, but, to, but for it to still hold like significance within the family as in for the, the grandchildren to understand that this is still important for the parents or the uncles or whatever and take part i mean it's it, like it, this is the thing it sounds so uh like for, it's for example like, yeah we just play overstated or like like we're overplaying it yeah 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 it's anyone who doesn't who hasn't experienced it it probably sounds oh my god it's a game of cards That's yeah like, but like, I think that the main thing about it is like, if I think about my time, like the, or the times that spring to mind when I, like when I would, me and my sister would play cards, 
it wasn't just me and my sister. It was like a transgenerational thing. So yeah. we had like it'd be me and my sister. Like my sister, me and my sister have been playing cards since we were like eight or nine. So we could hold fifteen cards in our hand in Sky of Wonder. <laughs> That's what we could play. Otherwise, it's a, it's a pain in the ass when you can't hold them all in your hand nicely. But like, and you can read that with the pros are when they like have a complete mess of cards in the hand. Oh, jeez, they're an amateur. But like, <laughs> but it's nice because you get to. It's like transgenerational, and also like, also um, like you get both sexes play as well. So it's not just mm. a man thing. So like, when I would play cards, this game of Scala Coranto or like a game of Briscola or something. There'd be me, my sister, my dads would play on and off. Like, we'd have turns. Like, we'd be like, oh, no, I don't fancy it right now. So someone else would come in. But it'd be basically like a shuffle of me, my sister, my dad, some of my aunties, some of my uncles. And, I mean, my my grandparents died fairly early when I was like a kid. But if they were alive, they would have been involved for sure as well. Right? So then you've got like three generations mm-hmm. all like partaking in this like one activity where... Mm-hmm. And, like, no one has, like, ownership of it, or it's not like a, oh, that's the, the, do you know what I mean? Whereas when, like, families get together in England, you all, you might have the meal together, but then eventually, like, the men kind of go their little way, and they'll, they'll have a little whiskey, you know, and they'll be their way, and the women will be doing whatever they're doing, and then the kids kind of are just left to their own devices. And so you get that, like, separation, whereas that doesn't really kind of happen. Like, there's, <clears throat> I've never seen, like, even when my uncles have played, I've never seen, like, when my uncles are playing, I've never seen them like say no to one of my younger cousins who wanted to get involved. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Like, okay, let us finish this hand, and then once this game's over, you can jump in. You know, it's not like oh no, the men are playing now, so uh, you know, sort yourself out type deal. That's never been the case. That's a good point because you wonder how 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 many activities we have where there are where the grandparents, the parents, and the kids or the grandkids all have like an interest in participating in something like like you said everyone can eat dinner together or i was thinking like around christmas everybody watches tv together or yeah. sometimes for a football event everybody will watch tv together but to actually have an active participation in something yeah because when you have an active participation in something it kind of shows a bit more of your personality you know like how you play cards like yeah and you learn oh like oh granddad does this or sometimes she'll do that and uh, yeah it's it's a re- it's a really rare um, form of form of connection that I that again I will we'll, we'll move on because people are definitely gonna be like on board with the cards then but <laughs> <laughs> we'll move on but I, I it was one aspect that I couldn't get away from when I spent like two extended periods of time in Italy was like yeah our, our as in we've quote unquote nothing to do let's play cards and, yeah. and no one ever regretted it it wasn't like God oh, that was a shit game of cards. Unless you get absolutely slapped. Oh, yeah, and then you want to play more. No, no, no. It's a great game. And I think, to be fair, we used to, I used to play cards a little bit. Not with my, anything Italian, but with um, my, when my, some of my friends from Union stuff when we came out in Erasmus. And we would quite often take, like, when we'd go out for a bar or when we know we were going to go for a terrace for a drink, we would, like, because we lived together, so we, we kind of would speak all day anyway. So, like, there wasn't, like, oh... We're gonna to go to this pub and now we have to talk again because we've been speaking like the last this whole week. Yeah. So we would take cards and we'd like we'd, there was all sorts of games that we would play, um, but they were the only group of friends that I had um, that uh, Leah and Seb shout out if you're listening. Um, but they're the only group of friends that I had that would play cards cards regularly that weren't Italian basically. 
so yeah, definitely something to get into if you haven't, if you don't do it kind of regularly. Just it's just a nice thing to just carry around with you and just uh, always be ready for. When the moment even, strikes. This is it. Even just to consider, like, oh wait, maybe maybe there isn't something because that's what I, that's what I'm thinking now currently. Um, to kind of find something that me and my dad and sister all have like something where we're pretty interested in and then we can do that regularly because yeah, yeah like you said there's only so much you can do with talking and you can always do a lot with talking but sometimes it's just like to to create something with each other like to uh, like to alright we dedicate this time we'll do this with each other and over time it will become a thing and we'll learn more about each other and we'll grow fondness for the game and yeah yeah no, it's great. And uh, I was, I'm, I'm not gonna lie, I'm pretty lucky with cards. So I'd always, I was always there or thereabouts. So I was never, I was never gonna turn it down because I'd always fancy myself. And I was always the annoying little prick who would like try and wind people up while I was playing. Because I was always. Isn't it? Like... Yeah, but I'd always back myself. I'd like, oh, look, he's coming. Like, we, with my friends, we play a game called Shitface. And there's a, the last part of it, which is where you win or lose, is purely down to luck. Like, not to explain the whole game, but you basically have to like pick up three different cards that are like blinds so you don't know what they are and like whatever anyway so it's complete luck there is no skill involved whatsoever and i swear to god like eight times out of ten i'd pick the cards in the right order and win and like even i was like you are as the italians would say get cooler <laughs> so, um yeah, yeah. yeah. No, uh, i i do love the game of cards i don't play enough actually so i probably i've got the cards with me but i don't really louise is not really a massive fan so i'll have to try and convert her slowly so yeah, yeah. Right, I, I guess we should move on to the Chibo. The most important aspects. Yeah, no, basically the reason, I, like, obviously everyone who thinks about Italian culture obviously thinks about food just as, you, it's almost synonymous. I mean, I think probably it's the first thing anyone who thinks of Italy thinks about is the food. Um, but I'm a strong believer that if you have enough enthusiasm for something, that you can find or you can like imprint a certain level of like spirituality into something. So like that could be literally anything. That could be a sport, that could be uh, you know, a skill like carpentry, I was saying before, like you know, if you sp- speak to a normal person, they'll be like, oh you've just made a table. But if you speak to someone who's really, really into their carpentry, they'll find there'll be a certain level of spirituality in terms of the wood that they chose and whatever else, you know, I don't know anything about carpentry. But my point being is that you can find spirituality in anything if you look hard enough for it. And I think where people sometimes maybe get things a bit misconstrued with Italian food is that they think it's delicious and this, that, and the other end, that's kind of all they think about it. And that is true, but I think the difference is that Italians to them, it's like, even if they haven't recognized it as such, it's actually like a deeply spiritual thing mm. to Italian to Italian people because you grow up with it and it's... So, just play such a dominant part in your everyday life. And that's why, like, when, when we see these transgressions um, from uh, other cultures, like putting the pizza on a pineapple or putting the cream in a carbonara, um, obviously this, like, we, we, can, we can joke and laugh about it, but to us it's almost like, you know, not I won't go quite this far, but it's almost like misquoting the Quran or something along those lines. You know, it's like, because like, these are recipes that are just like so dyed in the wall. They've been passed down by generation. Like these are some recipes that don't get touched. Like, these are, as far as Italian is concerned, these are perfected. Mm. And so there's like, 
you're lucky enough that we're giving them to you, let alone you taking the piss and then trying to add something to it, right? And that's where, like, but then on the flip side, it's like maybe we sometimes give it too much importance. Mm. Like, you place too much value on something which could be seen as a means to an end. Mm-hmm. In, like, in crudest terms, like, I, I, you know, at the end of the day, you could just say, well, food ultimately is there just to fuel you and to stop you from dying. And that, that is true. Yeah, it, it's true in one sense, but if you give it the weight that you're talking about, if you give it the like the sacred weighting that you're speaking about, then it's not. Then then they're like, oh, well, like food for me is is way more than that. Or the food that I put into my body has to be like treated and created in such a way. It's not just that I just I'm in a rush and I'll just eat this because I'm hungry. It, you know, it it's rarely like that. You know, and sorry, just before this pops out of my head, like you said, right, everybody has their own uh, story about, oh, yeah, I was with this Italian and, and then they said that I shouldn't put the salt in like this and they should do that. And then it was a bit overreaction and, you know, or everyone has their story like that. But yeah. I sent you this the story a few weeks ago when I was with the chef. I was volunteering in this place and I was with the chef for a week. And I like playing this game with Italians of asking them, would they like to go a month without one particular food or a month without another one. And because I like it so much, because if you do it in Ireland and England, they just go like, yeah, I could, I could do it. Like, I mean, yeah. either, <laughs> it's, there's, yeah. there's, there's no real attachment in Ireland. Like, oh no, I could never go a month without carrots or a month without broccoli or potatoes, you know? But uh, like this question, like if you ask the average person in Dublin, they're like, I don't even eat these anyway. But yeah. I, I asked the chef, I said, if you could, could you go sit, uh, I go six months without rosemary or six months without basil, right? Yeah. And he looked at me and he just says, death, <laughs> <laughs> you know? And like you said, like you can overreact that and, and you think, oh yeah, he's joking. Obviously he would rather survive than that. But like he really does hold the ingredients in such a high regard. And like you said, the prep, the prep is so important. People are thinking about uh, what they're going to cook tomorrow, what they're going to cook for lunch. Oh, they don't have that ingredient, so they can't do that. And like, like I mean, you joke about misquoting the Quran, but it came to mind that it's a bit like uh, a holy scripture in the sense that Italians don't like deviating from what they, what the ingre- like what the recipe is. And that's that is my biggest qualm, just in the sense that I think. Like there's some level of like beauty to the fact that Italian cuisine is almost so perfect that you you could quite happily live a happy life and never touch or never have to alter an Italian like a traditional Italian recipe, right? Mm. And you would live a very fulfilled life in gastronomical terms for sure. <laughs> but then like on I also feel like it's kind of paradoxical just in the sense of all Italians are such lovers of food that I feel like but then but then they limit themselves in the sense of, yeah, but that's Nonna's recipe. You can't touch Nonna's recipe. It's like, mm. no, 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 but we can still have Nonna's recipe. <laughs> Let me just try and experiment here. Mm. I'm not talking about putting fucking salad cream on your fucking bolognese or whatever, or your lasagna. I'm not talking about that shit. But I'm talking about, like, let's try and, like, take it to some, a new height. Like, why are we just limiting ourselves at this level? Like, maybe we can get to somewhere even higher. Mm-hmm. And that might seem, like, impossible. But, like, that, that, let's just try. And, like, there's a, um, I forget his forget his uh his name now that's really gonna piss me off but there's um a really famous chef in italy and at the at the start he was like lambasted because that's what he was trying to do he was like 
trying to reimagine like Italian classics, and it wasn't to shit on Nonna's recipe. It was to pay reverence to them. Mm-hmm. Like Nonna's recipe is always fucking Nonna's recipe, but like let's like we're in twenty twenty now. We can't keep. I mean, like we can enjoy those things, but why don't we try and push them even further? Mm-hmm. It's only when like and he was getting lambasted, and then it's only like when one of the best food critics in Italy said that what he was doing was worthwhile was when the rest of the food critics that had been slating him were like, oh, actually, yeah, it's really good. But, like, he faced, whereas in England, for example, no one's going to batter you for trying to reimagine a toad in a hole. Because it's never held in such high regard anyway. Yeah. Like, people's like, yeah, it's a nice meal, toad in a hole, a shepherd's pie, yeah, it's cool. But no one's going to be like, oh, my God, you, you used fucking, you used beef instead of lamb and your shepherd's pie, you mental. Yeah. Like, that's not going to happen, right? that level of like outcry whereas it does and that like to some extent does piss me off because it's like the reason we got to where we got to is because people were like brave enough to kind of push down <laughs> yeah. you know so like, yeah, it, feels, yeah. it does feel paradoxical to me that we kind of have now decided that this is where the limit is and the creativity should now stop and yeah. we should never we should never try to do anything again but but yeah like and it's not just about the food like it's not about the actual food it's about the whole ritual around the food right so it's like, you know, for example, yesterday I made like a pasta alla arrabbiata, which is basically tra- literally translated as pissed off, pissed off pasta. But what it actually means is basically spicy tomato pasta. That's what it actually means. But I've been thinking about it for a week. Not that I'd like needed to think about it. I knew the rest, I know the rest of it off my hand, but like, I was like, I can't wait for Saturday. Arsenal are going to play. I'm going to make this sauce in the morning. They'll be ready for the time Arsenal plays. I'm going to eat the pasta during the game. Yada, yada. I mean, Arsenal smashed five nails. So that put a bit of a down on it. But, you know, like, it's that whole kind of thing. Whereas, like, and then in a more, very more traditional sense, obviously I'm here in, in Spain just with Louisa, but in a more traditional sense, like we said before, the whole family comes over. Mm-hmm. It's a deal. You get to find, you get to see your cousins you haven't seen for a week. Mm-hmm. You get to catch up and this, that, and the other. And then more often than not, one of the aunties or whoever is coming over will probably bring over the dessert. Mm-hmm. So then it's their time to show off. And, you know, <laughs> and like, that's what it's about, really. And at the end of the day, like, it's a little competition. Like, you, if you ask any of my aunties, they all kind of slate each other's cooking. <laughs> yeah. They all think they're way better than the other. And the only person that they unanimously will just will acknowledge that's better than them is not. Mm-hmm. That's it. Like, you'll never touch Nonna's cooking. And that's just how it is. And we all we all just accept that. Do you know what I mean? It's like it's like if you're Messi's child. It's like you're never going to be better than your father at football. So just like you can be good, but you're yeah. never going to be messy. Yeah. That's just, and, but that's every family in Italy. Like that's just everyone. No, Nonna's cooking is the fucking best. So it is what it is, but and in reality, like it probably wasn't the best. Like if you, like technically speaking, you know, mm-hmm. like I could maybe go to chef school, and technically my fucking spinach pasta might be better. But like we help, we like there's a certain romance to non cooking, yeah. so that's why it's never, you know. And then <clears throat> the other thing as well, which like why I love food so much and why I think it's so powerful, is that like it has this capability to like transport you. To places or to moments or mm. time. So, like, even though I haven't been to Italy for like, I don't know, maybe two years now because of COVID and everything else and whatever else, and even though I'm not eating it with my family, but like when I cook uh, an Italian dish, like it does transport me back to the first time I ate it or it does make me feel somewhat connected to Italy mm. in some way or shape or form. 
you know, and I, there's few things that maybe music has that kind of capability. Mm-hmm. But there's not, I can't think of many things off the top of my head that have that like power to really like hit you emotionally. Yeah. And that's why I think like it's important to give food such reverence. Yeah. And that's why I feel like, and I know a few friends who only see food as a means to an end, and that's fine. Or, you know, they only eat chicken and rice because they want to like lean up or whatever the fuck they're trying to do. And whatever, each to their own. But I just feel like you're missing something so much by doing that, you know? It's like, I I can never prove that food cooked with intentional love, like love of the food, love of the process. You're not rushing it. You're not like you just love this. You love making this recipe. I can never prove that that is why the food tastes better or if it tastes better. But I mean, even joking, I've spoken with loads of my friends in Dublin and loads of people get chicken rolls and uh, like it's just basically like a French baguette with like a chicken fillet and lettuce and mayo. That's pretty much it. But yeah. if you go to one place in Dublin, it could be absolutely breathtaking. And then another place, it just like feels soulless. And then a lot of people just say, yeah, it's about the love. Like the person yeah. didn't put a lot of love. Here's a good kind of um, example as a foreigner to to the Irish. You can order a pint of Guinness in England and you'll get a pint of Guinness. But it's not the same as ordering a pint of Guinness in in Dublin or when we went to Galway or wherever. Because and people say, "Oh yeah, it doesn't travel well." I'm not talking about the fucking travelling of the Guinness. I'm talking about that. What I mean is, you guys, whilst you fucking then forgive me here, but whilst your food is fucking terrible, but you pay the same reverence to a pint of Guinness as Italians do to their food, and that's not me taking the piss. I'm being like deadly serious. Like I remember. The first, and this shows how like naive I was, but I'd never had a pint of Guinness. And then by the time we were going to Dublin, I kind of was like, right, I'm definitely going to stay off Guinness. So that my first ever Guinness is actually in Dublin. And then you took me to a pub and we ordered a Guinness. And then like, it took 10 minutes to arrive. And I was like, no, Joe. And I was like, what the fuck is like, Jesus Christ. It's not even that busy. And then you're like, nah, nah, nah. But like, he's got to like let it rest and this, that, and the other. And you're like explaining this whole ritual to me. And again, it's kind of like what you were saying with the love of it, right? I don't know if technically on a purely flavor level, if the Guinness is actually that much better for letting it rest and for doing this and for pouring out of the certain tap and all that shit. Who the fuck knows? I think it's almost impossible to tell, mm-hmm. right? But the fact is you believe it does. Yeah. And so believing that it does, it does. It's as yeah. simple as that. Like, yeah. it's just simple. And if you think that, like, I remember you were telling me, oh, no, like, some pubs have, like, a hot tap. Like, you want to get it from that tap or whatever the phrase is. <laughs> and, again, that blew my mind. But, again, and you, if you're blindfolded, you probably couldn't have a difference if it was poured from the good tap or the quote-unquote bad tap. Mm. But you believe that when it's poured from the good tap, you're getting that proper stuff. And so then when you drink it, you're like, oh, yeah, this is the good tap. And, like, and that's all that matters. Like, it doesn't actually matter if it really is better or not you know mm-hmm. and so i think and, and i think that's actually probably a good like similarity there is that like yeah you maybe irish people don't pay much attention to their food in the way that italians do but you definitely do to your guinness and that's not i'm not like talking down on it like, I, I was, if i was irish i'd hold it in the same reverence and i think there's and that's what makes having the guinness in ireland so much different to having it anywhere around the world because mm-hmm. even i think there's they don't they have like a plant or they make it in South Africa or something. I think they've won in Nigeria. 
in Nigeria. Right. So technically, if we're being honest, then if you had a pint in Nigeria, it should be flavor wise because they didn't travel. It should be the same as having it in Ireland. I can guarantee you it's not. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Because mm. the barman won't it was pour it for you because Guinness in Nigeria isn't a big thing. And like you don't have lists. When we went to Galway and we all like had that I'll never forget, we all had that pint of Guinness and like I to me it was just a, another lovely pint of Guinness. <laughs> but like to you and your friends, you all kind of like unanimously nodded and then were like each one of you had your own little ranking, oh yeah, top five or like top three or whatever. And because in your own head you have like a little list of like top ten Guinness pints. You know? And like that's I think that's great. I think that's fucking fantastic. Yeah. And it's basically it's the exact same thing with food in Italy. Man, and it comes full circle to just me saying how much, how important it is, I think, how important it is to have something in a sacred, something that means a lot to you, something that you really care about, something that you want to learn more about, that you just hold in a very high regard. Yeah, because it's cause never actually, like, when you break it down, it's never actually about that thing. Yeah, it's not. Like, you know, people who love football... When they go to Old Trafford every week, they don't love, like, yeah, they love football, but, like, the reason they hold it in such high regard isn't seeing Paul Pogba pass it to Bruno Fernandes. That's not what, what makes them, it's the whole ritual. Yeah, the whole Waking up in the morning, getting your son ready, getting him his little jersey, getting on the train with all the fans, going up to Old Trafford, you're there, you feel the buzz, mm. you score the goal, you go mental. It's that whole shit. That's what, why you love football. And the same with Guinness, like, it's not really, when you break it down, it's not really about the Guinness. It's about going to the favourite pub, your, that pub you've always gone to, seeing the publican who you always see, you know, it's meeting your same friends, having those chats in that same little booth that you always have as your booth. You know, if you took that exact pint of Guinness and I brought it to your room and you're alone, yeah. there you go, here's, the, here's that pint from the exact same pub, from the same tap, drink it. it does, it's not the same. No. Right? And it's that's what's that's what's like yeah that's what it is. It's never really actually about the thing. It's more about what surrounds that thing. You know, it's about how you how how you hold that thing. Yeah, you know, even like <laughs> when I was in Italy a few weeks ago, my friend was telling me that I'm not cutting the I'm not I don't cut properly. You know, <laughs> as if to say like the way I cut needs to improve. Like to me, to the average Irish person, you cut it. And then you put it in, and then you cook it. Like, yeah. <laughs> what, what do you, what do you mean? How do I, not, how do I not cut it properly? And it's that thing. It's like you said. It's not about the end product, really. It's about all the process, like the weight that you put into everything. Because, like, if you hold, if you hold the cutting sacred, and how you, how much oil you put in, and at what weight you put in, and the time you let the the sauce cook, all these things, all of a sudden it just feels special. You're building it up to feel special. Yeah, I mean, unless you're an awful cook, it will invariably taste better. Like, it just will. And it might be not, it might just be a thing of like, like you said, that some sort of emotional attachment that makes it taste better rather than it like scientifically tasting better. Right. But yeah, I, yeah, for sure. And I feel like cultures that hold food in high regard, because it's not, it, let's not be, let's be fair, like, it's not like Italy's the only one. There are many that do and they mm -hmm. really enjoy it. And not just enjoy cooking, but eating out. Like they, they really worship, but they hold chefs as like, giant yeah. beacons of society. Like I don't know. There's just I don't know. I have a I have an affinity towards those cultures. 
Yeah. And cultures where like they don't really see food, or like, they're just like, yeah, like we're hungry, let's just go Greg's, or let's just smash in a meal deal or whatever. Like it's just a means to an end type deal. Yeah, that just bums me out. Cause I'm just mm. like, oh, like I get it. Like you can't always have the best meal. Sometimes you're on a train and you're hungry, and you just need to like, you usually get something in, and that's fine. <laughs> but like you were saying, like you know, with you with your family, like how sometimes you're all eating at separate times. Yeah, and this, that, and the other. It's like. That just bums me out. They're just like, oh, it's like you're not enjoying what could be enjoyed there. Like you can all have the same meal, and then you can talk about that meal. Like, oh, that's a real nice stew that you made there, Katie, or whatever. Yeah. And then it goes on from there. Then like you talk about whatever else comes with it, right? Whereas like you kind of like deny yourself that privilege when you're, yeah, when you just you don't pay it the attention that at least I think it deserves. Totally. But then, but then that's just a personal choice, right? And then someone else doesn't pay through that attention but they pay something that I don't pay any attention to way more yeah. it's like you know each their own type of thing but, yeah it's a key to it's definitely a key to Italian culture it's what, what the thing I love most about Italian culture um, and yeah. probably the thing I'm most proud about I'd say in terms of Italian culture for sure uh, I mean and it would it would be remiss not to just to highlight the fact that I mean I think we've had four guests if I'm if I'm correct in highlighting the, the significance of the Mediterranean diet in terms of its diversity the richness of like fruits and vegetables plant or nuts seeds a uh, small amount of meat oils oils that's another yeah. thing oils are like olive oil is sacred in Italy like, oh yeah well like, we don't like what do you always like I find funny is when you see like even people like Gordon Ramsay do it. So, I mean, like, I'm not trying to go at, like, home chefs here. <laughs> but, like, you see these fucking chefs, and they would do, like, an Italian recipe. And they're like, oh, yeah, put a bit of butter in it. I'm like, bro, no one uses butter ever in Italy. Like, it doesn't exist. Like, go somewhere and find butter. <laughs> like, no one uses butter. Like, even on toast, like, on a bruschetta. You don't no, never. I don't know. Like, butter doesn't... Butter only exists... For baking. That is the only place where butter is welcome in terms of Italian food. So it always cracks me up when you see these like big chefs or whatever, and they're like, "Oh yeah, we're gonna make a pasta, blah blah blah." Yeah, and then you want to just uh, fry off the shallots with your with your butter, and I'm like, "You don't want to do that." <laughs> so if we're gonna be making a French meal, yeah, let's use all the butter there is. But if we're gonna be using an Italian meal, that's definitely <laughs> olive oil. So like, yeah, like olive oil is just like sacred. It just is, you know. Like they pour on everything. Like, to the point where, like, in Italy, like, if it's a bit crude and maybe it's a bit old-fashioned, and I think, like, now they kind of do have certain creams and stuff. <laughs> but, like, back in the day, like, if you're a little bit sunburned, and then, you know, like, your skin goes <laughs> yeah. smash on a bit of olive oil. <laughs> like, why not? Like, do you know what I mean? That's, like, of course. I remember when my dad had, like, a little delicatessen, and one of his, like, best-selling products was, like, this olive oil-based, like, basically moisturiser. Yeah. My dad... Man doesn't give a shit about any of like that cosmetic stuff. He was like, "Oh yeah, but look at this thing! Like a mental for it. Got olive oil in it. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, olive oil is like the thing. Like, olive oil is just Matt, there is I, no. I remember I was out for pizza with my mate like two weeks ago, and halfway through he asked the waitress for olive oil. Yeah, and he just wanted to sprinkle a bit of olive oil on the pizza. I was like, "What? But but okay, yeah. <laughs> it's probably gonna make it better." Yeah, I wouldn't do that. I mean, I suppose you have to have the pizza in question, but mm. that's the thing as well. Like, olive oil is like its own taste. Mm. Whereas, like in England, olive oil is only ever used to cook, like to fry something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. You know, like no one like 
seeks the taste of olive oil in something. Oh. You know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, it's a weird one. But like these are just like again, it's products that like in the UK at least they just paid no attention to whatsoever. Mm-hmm. And it's pro- and like salt seasoning. Yeah. Everything has to have a bit of salt in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, oh, but salt's like salt's unhealthy. Like yeah, if you like have a load of salt, of course it is. But without salt, you don't get the flavor of whatever it is that you're eating. Like, that's just facts. It's always the key to flavor. But yeah. people don't recognize that. And then they wonder why, like, their food is bland. It's like mm-hmm. seeds in it. No. Well, there you go. Like, have you ever been to an Italian restaurant and see salt on the table? <laughs> I've never seen that. <laughs> never. In my life have I ever been to an Italian restaurant, like, in Italy, and seen salt it's, on the table. It, but it's a big insult if you would ask for salt then. I wouldn't. Like, <laughs> I, like, I've just, even if I thought it lacked salt, <laughs> respect i'd be like nah because that's just like what you're basically saying is this food is shit like if you're asking for salt yeah you're basically saying you fucked up yeah so now i've got to fucking fix this mm-hmm. that's what you're saying mm-hmm. so i'd have respect i would i just eat it and i'm money there again but like in england you regularly see salt on the table yeah which is a madness to me because that's like the chef pre-admitting <laughs> Like he's gone, he's only gone and fucked it. <laughs> yeah, it's like, oh, here you go. Like here's, here's a plate of meat, and I think I fucked it, but here's some salt. Yeah, know? but I'm giving you the savior, which is some salt here. That'd be like the equivalent, like going to a concert, and they give you an MP3 player of like another artist songs. So it's like, look, if you don't like my music, it's fair enough. We've given you kind. <laughs> you can listen to that instead. But that is like, what the fuck's happening? Have some confidence in yourself. So, uh, yeah, listen. Uh, yeah, I don't know. That's why I'm fat. The, but, the, yeah. the other thing that we have to talk about um, and that we certainly take for granted in Ireland is, like, I think Italians have a closer relationship to food because you can almost grow everything in Italy. So that's they're, they're yeah, very sure. lucky in that regard. But they have, like, a cool understanding of food and season. They're always just eating fruits that are in season and vegetables are in season. And I, I just didn't really have that that level of no. consciousness. Like, I was thinking the only reason, the only way that I know that the season for pumpkin is like October, November, December is because of Halloween. That's the yeah. only reason. Yeah. yeah and no, I don't it's... think I'm alone in thinking that. But I guarantee you, if you ask a seven-year-old Italian, he knows yeah, no. that in the wintertime he's having pasta con zucca. Yeah, and pasta and beans, that type of shit. Yeah, yeah, like, it just is what it is, like, but it's just, and it's weird, it's almost weird that we don't have that, like, it feels, like, stupid, right, it feels like, how the hell have we got to a stage in life, and, and, it, but it also makes sense, in, like, when you, even if you don't know it, right, you can't tell me that a strawberry in December tastes the same as a strawberry yeah. in June, no, no, they no. just don't, no, no, no. I mean, they might look like two strawberries, but when you eat them, yeah. they're quite clearly very different things, mm-hmm. and, like, in the north of Spain, not so much in the south of Spain or the rest of Spain, but in the north where it's like very gastronomically orientated, that's where you have the most Michelin style restaurants and stuff. Like, I was talking to one of my friends, she's from there, she said, Oh, yeah, we don't even eat certain fish. Like, there's that certain fish that, like, <laughs> it's not made till like June, we don't eat that shit. Like, and then, like, she was telling me because, like, she's basically my best mate's girlfriend, and um, basically, she was saying that. So my best mate, who's from Madrid, right? Yeah. So out for like his like his mum's or his dad's birthday, and they ordered a certain fish. But it was like February, 
and they like and my and his girlfriend this she's from the north was like oh i fucking never ordered that shit in february <laughs> he's like my, he's like my in-laws it's their birthday they can all wear the fuck which they want <laughs> and it was not like a good restaurant they wasn't like some shit restaurant and um anyway they were all like oh yeah this fish is like fucking amazing like so good oh my god blah, blah, blah. and like basically Chasa, that's her name she was like yeah, fuck that. She was like, <laughs> in Bilbao, you're never ordering that fish until May earliest. Mm-hmm. And you've got two months to order it. And then after that, you don't order it again. So mm-hmm. she, was like, she was like, I can't believe anyone would ever order such a fish that wasn't May to June. And it's like, again, it's, it's an appreciation of like, and just the recon- like recognizing that, like, that there's the best. Like, yeah. they only accept the best, you know? Yeah. And anything yeah. below that's like, why are we wasting our time? Yeah. Whereas in England, in the UK, and maybe in Ireland, like where you just accept like mediocre food is just the standard, and the best is seen as like something for an occasion. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Like, and so that's kind of sad. It's like, well, you, you don't have to go to a top class restaurant to eat the best food. Mm-hmm. You can just, like you said, learn what's in season, mm-hmm. like learn what vegetables, you know? and. And yeah, like obviously in Spain and Italy, we grow like more because of the sun and the fruit is definitely nicer. But I mean, you could definitely find stuff that's like UK based that grows better in certain seasons than it does in Italy, like because there's more rain and stuff. So you get like the potatoes, for example, are so much better yeah. in yeah. like England and UK and those types of countries than they are in Italy. And it sounds stupid, but like you can make some unreal meals from potatoes. Yeah. But again, it's just having that awareness, you know, that like. <laughs> That's the connection. Like they're just closer. Yeah. They they have just a closer understanding of, of yeah, the food, of the food. yeah. Like, and most and most, or at least in my experience, anyway, most uncles in Italy or like granddads or whatever that kind of like fifty plus age group have their little allotments, and so they grow like their own little, you know, tomatoes or beans or whatever it may be. And so when they're in season, they share it out to the family because all of a sudden, like what would happen with us, my uncle had like a fairly big one, for like a month, we'd just be eating whatever was in season. Mm. So for a month, the whole family, like extended and otherwise, neighbours, everyone, are just eating zucchini because he's just growing zucchini like he's going out to the zoo. And I, but it's in season, so I've got to eat the zucchini. So, like, so then what happens is, your auntie is then coming up, not like she's making them, but she's just, all of these recipes, like, you wouldn't, um, um, you couldn't believe how many uh, recipes have zucchini in them. But she would bring them all out, because it's like, we need to use zucchini, but God forbid we eat the same thing twice. Mm. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So you kind of, like, it forces you to, like, to, to be that experimental, I guess. Um, but yeah, it's, it's that connection of being like, okay, and, and looking forward, and you have to plan as well. You know, like, if you're going to have zucchini, you know, whenever, you have to plan it, like, six months beforehand. Or, you know, I mean, I'm not thinking of the lot, because I don't know how long it takes to plant, but... So, there's, again, it's that connection of, like, and that ritual of food. Because yeah. it's something that you put in the ground, and then six months, like, you put in the ground in December, being like, I can't wait for the shit to come through in June, for example. Yeah. And when it comes through in June, you're like, fuck, I've been thinking for six months about these things, yeah. and then I can eat. All of these recipes that we've been thinking about are talking about for six months. Whereas if you go to Sainsbury's or wherever and you wanted like a tomato salad and you just go and buy tomatoes, it's like, oh, you thought about it that morning and you bought it and then you ate it that evening. It's kind of like, oh, okay, yeah, right. Yeah. Whatever. 
it's just, I don't know, it's just a different way of looking at stuff, you know? No, totally. It's a totally different, it's a different outlook on life, and I think a lot of Asian cultures kind of share that outlook as well. Um, and yeah, I don't know, I don't know how much that helps them with their kind of spirituality. And, and, well, know, their- it's, funny, it's funny you bring up Asian cultures. I just wanted, before we finish, I just wanted to say, if anyone's interested in watching a beautiful movie, about holding food in significance. I saw this Japanese movie called Sweet Bean, which is basically about this woman um, who's unbelievable at making this like Japanese pastry dish, um, but she has leprosy. And so she's outcasted from society. But the way she makes um, this bean, it's like a bean pastry. It's like a sweet bean pastry thing. Right. The way she makes it, is is like the only word that comes to mind is like holy as in she's teaching this guy because this guy he's running a shop but nobody likes his particular pastry and uh she's shown him how to how to how to cook this beautiful thing correctly and there's this scene right where where he's cooking the beans okay (laughs) and uh and uh, they're just sitting down and cooking the beans and then she says something and he goes sorry what did you say she goes not talking <laughs> and uh it, like, like like that's next level stuff it's like you're like you have a relationship with the beans uh, and you, you when you eventually get the final product yeah. it's beautiful anyway the movie's called sweet bean i'd highly recommend that recommend it to anyone it's a bit emotional but it really encapsulates encapsulates what we were talking about for the last 20 minutes to, to, just to give you, an, uh, for anyone who's like maybe interested in food or maybe thought of like never kind of seen it as spiritual or something, I gave you a recommendation. I don't know if you watched it, but um, Chef's Table. I mean, just watch the whole of Chef's Table because for me it's just amazing. It's a series on Netflix. But there's one episode in, in particular called, um, it basically Chef's Table, where they do each episode profiles like a certain chef. And it kind of just is the story of that chef through their food. So it's really great. I think it's just one of the best shows ever. But anyway. There's a specific episode with um, a monk from Korea. Korea? Yeah, I think, I believe Korea. I believe South Korea. Um, called um, Zhong Kwan. That's that's about her name. Um, How do you say her name? Anyway, and she's like, she doesn't even class herself as a chef. She's just a full-on monk. She's just a Buddhist monk. So, but she she just cooks in this monastery. So, but it is unreal because like, again, like the way that she talks about food and with, with like, um, I mean, you probably know more than this than me, but like in Buddhism, or at least in that monastery, they aren't allowed to have garlic. onions and garlic and, and stuff um, because of like onion, yeah. onion, on, onion garlic, it? and mushrooms. It's called sapphic diet. Yeah, and there's some reason like it's basically it something about the mind. like it. Yeah, it stimulates yeah. the mind too much, basically. Yeah, that's like thinking. Which, if you said to any chef <laughs> throughout the world, whatever cuisine. You cannot cook with mushrooms, onion, or garlic. You're like, well, what the fuck are we doing here? Like, what is now? What's the point anymore, right? And yet, this like this woman who's not like she's not trained. She again, she went to this monastery when she was 15 years old. But it's like culturally, like she like from her mother and whatever else, she cooks like the best food ever, like this um, kimchi and all this type of stuff. And she just talks about the connection of food. And like she said, so she's had, had like seminars in the West and TED Talks and that stuff, trying to like give her Buddhist philosophy on uh-huh. food. And it's like you, Jim, you'd 100% love it. 
And I think, I mean, I think anyone would, but yeah, like, even though I hold foods in a fairly high regard, like when I watched that, I was like, oh, this is like another level yeah. of like reverence. We should get her on the bottom. Um, yeah, we, I mean, if we could, if we could, she's, she's a big deal. Yeah. <laughs> We're a big deal. She is like next level, um, yeah, a monk in Korea. Yeah, that's it. Yeah, um, she, she's so sweet as well. Like I just want to like hug her. When you watch that, when you watch that episode, you're just like, oh my god. And um, she was talking to like this American journalist, and um, she's trying to explain like a, like whatever. Anyway, they're like going through the monastery, and obviously you've got like it's that typical kind of Asian monastery you can think of, like the flowing water. There's all the lovely trees and all this stuff. And like this American is like asking us stuff like, so what about this? And why did you do this? And yada, yada, yada. And she's just like, she tells him to like, she can't, she can't speak loads of English. She's like, and she's like, shh, listen. And then like, he's just listening. And then she goes, oh. <laughs> and, and then she just like walked away. And then he was like, that's her food. Like, that's what her food is, like orchestra. Like, it's just the smallest things and they just all like play in together. And it just makes us like, and she was like, and yeah, I mean, honestly, I might even I might watch it tonight. Yeah. I, I might watch it tonight, yeah. Thanks, man. I'll, I'll, I'll literally watch it two weeks ago, but I might watch it again tonight because we're talking about it, like, give me goosebumps. But yeah, like, she she kind of, she she explains it in such a way, and obviously with her Buddhist back, background, where it's like, wow, like, even, even Italians have something to learn mm. when it comes to this woman in the sense of how high she, and again, she, like we said, very, and she has that, she doesn't use, it's all veg- vegetarian as well. So there's no, obviously, they don't kill any animals and stuff. So no animal product whatsoever. And then no onion, garlic, or mushroom. I mean, like, to anyone else, you'd be like, that, that's like, the, even vegans have mushrooms mm-hmm. and garlic. Mm-hmm. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, she doesn't have any of that stuff. And the best chefs in the, in the world were now, like, are like, she's the best. Like, we can't compete with them. And she has no training. Like, it's just, it's just another level. So yeah, anyone who hasn't watched that stuff, go watch Chef's Table. Uh, Jean Quine. Well, listen, I think I think we've talked enough. Just been fun though. I yeah, for sure. Yeah, it was a it's a nice change from um, the normal. Yeah, rhythms. D- depending on when this will be released, it's probably in the in the midst of a, an intense month where we discuss a lot of serious. I mean, every, every month, month intense. intense. <laughs> so, yeah, so this will definitely be released then, but. Um, we hope you guys enjoyed it. Um, maybe we'll do like a few more kind of now and again of these more semi-relaxed ones. Um, if you guys feel like you want to hear these ones, and we can maybe get some more guests on that are more, I don't know, yeah, more relaxed or yeah. more kind of chilled out, things, so to speak. Absolutely. Um, yeah, so if you guys enjoyed this, let us know, and then we can uh, definitely look into doing that some more. Um, and if not, then... <laughs> we'll <laughs> But, uh, but yeah, um, that's, that's, that's it really. Hope you guys all have the a best. great week. Ciao. Ciao, ciao. Hi guys. Thank you for listening to the podcast. Please don't forget to subscribe and leave a five-star review if you haven't already. Every review helps us climb the podcast charts so that even more of you can listen to our amazing guests. We really appreciate the support. Remember to tune in next week. But until then, keep safe and have a good one.